Hello, and welcome to the SOP podcast brought to you by the Science of Psychotherapy Academy. I'm Richard Hill, Science Director and Managing Editor for the SOP, along with the wonderful Matt Darlitz, my co-author, who steers the ship as Managing Director of SOP. Our podcasts seek to introduce fascinating people, their ideas and their work. And today we go to the UK, where we meet Matt Watton and Graham Johnson, who are both experienced therapists and educators who have a new book out that immediately grabbed my attention. Straight Talking Introduction to Therapy. What it is, why it works and how to get it. It's a great title. Now, I'm keen to learn more about this book. They are also uh, co-founders of the London Centre for Applied Psychology and have worked together for many years. And one of their projects that caught my eye was the Bowlby Centre. Now, I want to learn more about that too. So remember to check out all the fascinating learning materials at thescienceofpsychotherapy.net, our ongoing professional learning academy, and also our YouTube channel, where you can see a host of interviews, podcasts, and documentaries. But now we go to the UK and meet Matt Watton and Graham Johnson. So welcome, Matt Watton and Graham Johnson, to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. We're, we're, we're trying to call it the SOP podcast now because uh, nice. science, science frightens people. Uh, but it's not. <laughs> science is about knowledge and about investigating. And that's something you guys have done. I mean, I've talked about the fabulous book, A Straight Talking Introduction to Therapy, what it is, why it works, how to get it. Now, we're going to try and summarize all that. In, in 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, but I've given a little brief introduction. You guys have done a lot of stuff. Just give me a little bit of a uh, personal background of that journey and then into the the, the fabulous school you set up. Uh, Matt, maybe we start with you. Redheads get the, the, the first one. <laughs> or people with colour still in their hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for having us on. Um, Graham and I met quite a long time ago when we were um, both pursuing our first career. We were uh, civil servants in the UK government, doing various um, jobs there, um, and we hung around for a while. And I think we both got enjoyment from it. I know I did. I started my career in the prison service, so um, doing some hands-on operational management, got promoted relatively quickly, got up through to headquarters, found myself advising ministers. It was really um, an agreeable um, way to make a living for a while. And then I found myself falling out of love with it. I'd always wanted to do this job. I'd always wanted to be a psychotherapist. Um, not quite sure uh, why that is, and we could get into that, but I'd always fancied doing it. And um, honestly, Graham did it first. So he jumped ship um, sooner than I did, and he proved the concept. He was helping people, making a difference in people's lives, living what I took to be a very good life, working from home, no boss, um, really contributing in a way that I felt I was no longer doing in government. I'd gotten, you know, relatively senior, such that you lose that connection with the front line. You're making big spending decisions, marshalling um, large numbers of staff, often huge sums of money. Um, but that connection to making a difference was was gone. I saw him doing that. I thought about it for a while, and I don't know. There just comes a point in a in a, a man's life where you you leap, right? You hope for the best, and uh, it's worked out. 
Yeah, I mean that that being the generalist and missing that that individual that 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 grounded uh, uh, humanistic experience. It's uh, it's so fascinating. And, and Graham, so there you were, you guys in the public service, uh, then moving into the private service. What you you jumped fi- ship first? What was the what was the trigger there? The trigger was similar to Matt's. I would say is that. I'd spent, what, nearly 15 years or so working for the UK government. I had a quite a, a sharp rise up, up the service, got to a position where I had big jobs responsible for a lot of people with big budgets, and it just wasn't fulfilling me. And I had to ask myself some pretty important questions, often in therapy sessions, uh, about what I wanted from the second half of my life. I think a lot of people get to that early midlife or midlife point and just question what they want to do with the next part of their life. And like Matt, I just felt so far removed from the people I wanted to be of service to and the reasons why I entered public service in the first place. And I knew I'd got a lot of skills and experiences to offer. And I think what me and Matt bring to both the London Centre for Applied Psychology and maybe how we've approached writing the book, what what we've gained from that experience is a real focus on what works a real focus on trying to distill quite complex ideas or quite complex evidence into something that that can be of practical use and well und- and easily understood and i thought that there's there's a, a a benefit in trying to bring that experience and that and that skill base to to a new new industry and i think there's a bit of a gap in the world of therapy for that there's a lot of practitioners a lot of excellent training colleges a lot of excellent researchers there's probably fewer people who are trying to do something along the lines of what me and matt are trying to do which is trying to distill a lot of that into something that your general punter might might benefit from yeah and giving giving that broader picture um uh I know there's uh, John Arden, wonderful friend of ours in the neuroscience area, and written some fabulous books on neuroscience. And uh, he was actually uh, uh, talking to a student uh, uh, who came with mentor. He was mentor mentoring, and uh, they said, "Well, I'm you know I'm just uh, going to be studying with you, and I'm really excited. And you know, as I choose my particular by particular process." And John turned to them and said, "Oh, don't do that." Uh, find out what everything is you know there's a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of change and and that's something that this book brings out because i love it for therapists saying okay you may have a a a, a sort of a a, a, you're good at doing this one or that one um but uh maybe there's others but it's also really good for clients and i think this is one of the things i think the general uh, uh on the other side should be reading it saying hey what works for me you know like some people are musicians some people are sporty some people are tall some yeah. people are short there's there's got to be uh uh resonance i suppose uh with with what's going on well i i i'll keep it brief i mean i think that's a really big part of it like what what resonates with you so it would be the third pillar of evidence based practice if you wanted to think in those terms like what makes sense to you what calls out to you what connects with your view of the world because even if a type of therapy is really well researched m- maybe it's objectively the best in terms of the um density of research and the um, you know, weight of research that lies behind it. If it doesn't connect with you, if it isn't what you want, it won't work. If you want tools and techniques, you better get a therapy that gives you tools and techniques. You know, mm. if you want to explore your unconscious, you want lots of time 
to formulate your thoughts. You want to go back and you want to think about the impact of your early childhood. That's a different kind of thing. Not that you couldn't do both of those things, not that they couldn't be blended, but clarity about what you want and what works, what will work for you, what makes sense for you is uh, really an essential part of it. So it's kind of putting a bit of responsibility back on the client, I suppose, as well. Think about like, don't just rock up at somebody's door or somebody's Zoom meeting and hope for the best. Not all therapies are the same. Not all therapists are the same. Yeah, and and Graham, this this idea of of um, uh, the client utilizing the therapist uh, and and making being a part of the game, it's something that actually strangely, uh, uh, well, it's not strangely because we can see the social conditions for it, where the client is actually made the the secondary part of the experience, and the 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 therapist is is this expert who's going to do stuff. Now, how do you guys approach that in in uh, as you teach it? And you only mentioned it very briefly as sort of as a secondary thing. But the London Centre for Applied Psychology is a magnificent, you know, it's a fantastic uh, uh, school that's on there, and people are, are going to come out there really good therapists. But yeah, what how do you work with that when you're talking and teaching therapists all these different ideas and possibilities? I think one thing to we encourage people to think about as as therapists and practitioners is to challenge themselves to bring that into the room head on to talk to clients from the very first session almost that that their preferences matter and we we can obviously come to the work with a certain impulse or a certain field of knowledge and field of theory so my, my expertise to begin with at least was in attachment theory so i began to think of myself as an attachment-based therapist but the more i studied the world of therapy and the more i worked with clients the more i challenged that and i think this is true of matt as well we bonded over this over a few pints over the years is how frustrated we were that that the schools that we trained in tried to encourage us to see all of life's emotional problems through a certain lens. And I think the same is true with working with clients that we can encourage, we're encouraged to see the client as one thing, as opposed to every person comes into your room, wants something different from you and needs something different from you. So tailoring your approach to that individual client and helping them understand that from session one, that they're a part of this relationship, they're a part of this work. It's our job to help them understand and see that they can help shape this. If they want to do some work outside the sessions, wonderful. If they think we're talking too much, we want to know that. And we want to know that quickly rather than just all of a sudden they disappear from the therapy, which a lot of therapists complain about. Clients disappear. And often we don't know when, when, why they're disappearing. And I think often it's because we haven't taken their specific preferences seriously enough early, early on enough in the work. Yeah, so yeah, we do, we do tend fun. to give the therapies a great deal of importance rather than the the, the client. Sorry, Matt, I, I but it was I just wanted to confirm that. What what, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. I, I was just going to say that sometimes um, uh, one of my very early questions to a new client would be what will get me sacked? You know, what, what would stop yeah. you coming back? You know, would it be a lack of direction? Actually, lots of clients think we've got this statistic in the book. Lots of clients say they want direction. They want guidance. They want their therapist to lead. They want to know that what kind of things help when people typically get stuck in this sort of situation. So they actually want quite a lot from their therapist. 
three quarters of people tend to want that approach, but that means that a quarter of people don't. So they don't want me talking. They don't want me guiding them. They don't want me telling them what's worked. They want to think about that then. And it's really crucial that we know that. Have we got somebody who wants us to lead and offer them prompts and ideas? Have we got somebody who wants a bit of space, who's going to need to unravel this more slowly? One of the things I love about the work is the variety. You know, when you meet the person mm. for the first time, you never know quite what you're um, going to be getting into. And, you know, the way my week uh, shakes up by uh, 20 or so people I would typically see in a week, it feels really varied. You know, they're really, really different conversations. Essentially, it would seem to an outsider, I think, like I'm doing the same job. I'm repeating that experience maybe 20 times. I'm not. It feels very very different very particular very unique kind of special yeah i i mean this was an interesting thing i, I found uh my people know that my early years were in the creative uh space and uh someone would would come along uh, let's just talk about the the piano and working with with, with piano playing and um uh you know i had a, a friend of mine who went and did jazz and he played jazz he was very good uh but he just got to a point uh, where he was sitting there and he just said, what am I doing? This isn't what jazz, I'm doing this because I was supposed to. And he went to a different frame of music. And uh, actually we, we have a thing called uh, the Arias uh, here, which are a music award like the Grammys. And he's won his particular category like 14 years in a row. So wow. and he never won anything for jazz. So, you know, we, <laughs> we, we put ourselves, uh, we, we put ourselves in boxes, both therapists and clients. Uh, and uh, it's sort of opening those opening those edges and opening those edges comes with knowledge uh, yeah. I, I would suggest and this is this is what your book so let's let's get a bit to the uh, down into that the, the book there where you go through and and what are you doing we, we started to talk about it a bit there Graham also you know distilling pulling down and uh, I mean uh, I, I think in the shorts of your book it describes you know 500 talk therapies i I, last, yeah. I heard someone say there were 750 people just keep <laughs> yeah. inventing things and putting fences around and giving them three letters you know but this distilling what um tell us a bit more about that graham you know, maybe you start just on the process of distilling these these uh yeah. interesting ideas in therapy down into a understandable frame yeah so we i think it's fair to say we're on a mission to sell the benefits of good therapy um, and that's primarily because people don't necessarily know quite how good therapy is, quite how effective it is. The evidence suggests it's as effective as the flu vaccination and heart surgery. I don't imagine a large number of your listeners know quite how robust the research base is for the evidence that therapy works. So that's part of what we're trying to do in the book. But we're also aware, partly because of being punters and clients ourselves over the years of how opaque this, the industry is and how difficult it is for you if you're looking for a good therapist to work out who you should go and see. Should you go and see a counsellor? Should you go and see an analyst? Should you go and see a therapist? How much should you pay? Is online as good as in person? Which of those 500 or 750 types of therapy should you choose? If someone came to me in my mid-20s asking for help in finding a good therapist, I'd have no idea where to direct them. Mm. Whereas the, what we've tried to do in the book is to say a lot of that doesn't actually matter. 
what you're looking for is someone who knows their onions, who knows what they're doing, has trained well, who can answer your questions about what they're doing and why they're doing it, has a good fit with you, is ethically okay. There's some fundamentals there that we tease out in the book that if you get those right, chances are, and the evidence suggests this is true of about three quarters of people who seek therapy, it will be good for your mental health. Wow. Yeah. I mean, actually giving already i mean i use a term now it used to be so we use the term locus of control which which i liked mm. but it, it's a bit cognitive and i i now talk about energetic potency um and uh, we all have energy in the room but sometimes the client or the therapist can feel just really impotent uh, and this is a beautiful thing to so that the you know the client is able to this is really a book for therapists but this is really really a book for clients um, wow, I'm very excited uh, by the thought that how uh, you know, someone can read it saying, I've got this mess, but I need to find the best tools. Uh, and so, Matt, when, you, when you're teaching uh, these ideas, is it exact? I mean, really, is it the same language, whether it's to therapists or, or to clients, it's the same description? How do you find yeah, the application so. of it? Yeah, I, th I mean, I, th I think it's, I was just going to build on that point that it's really complex terrain. So I, I tend to see, I live in a, a reasonably smart area of North London, and I charge what I think most people would probably regard as a reasonably high price point, I tend to see people who are doing really well in the world, really successful at what they do. They're very sophisticated individuals, by and large, but they don't know quite what they're doing in this territory. And I, that really comes home to me when I speak to parents who are looking for somebody for their kid. And they found me and they're sort of like, God, are you going to be, you know, can I just, can I leave this with you? Can I trust you? Mm -hmm. I don't really know what I'm doing here. I don't know whether I've come to the right person. That's sort of the first question or the implied question, because it is very difficult. It's lightly regulated in the UK, um, therapy, psychotherapy, counselling. So you don't really know where you're going or who you're um, talking to, who you should be reaching out to. And it's not always the case that somebody working from a wood panelled office in Harley Street, if that means anything to you, who's maybe trained as a medical doctor and is calling themselves a psychiatrist, you might think that's what you need, but it probably isn't what you need if you're dealing with grief or if you're dealing with problems in your relationship, for example, if you need a certain type of medication or you need a thorough diagnostic psychiatric assessment, you need your psychiatrist. If you're thinking about grief, you probably need somebody who deals with that a lot, somebody who calls themselves something much more modest, like a grief counselor. If you're thinking about OCD in a teenager or a young person refusing school, or you're thinking about your relationship, why you can't get on with your partner, very different things. So we're trying to route people through that. Where where would you go for those for those sorts of things? Not, not necessarily providing um, one single answer for that, but here's the way to make sense of that. Here's roughly what you might be looking for in particular sets of circumstances. Yeah, and what we were saying in the early areas, we are talking about your work in the public service, uh, we don't need to generalise it. We can individualise it and personalise yeah. it. And, uh, you know, as you say, with the research, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, whether Scott Miller, you might have heard of, uh, uh, yeah. Bruce Wampold, some of those guys, I, I know Scott quite well. And they've done a lot of look into um, that actually no particular therapy is um, potentially more effective than a, than other on a generalized uh, approach. Yeah. But individually, 
a particular therapy is particularly relevant uh, to the person. But as you said, without doubt, having therapy is much more effective than not. And so the research is absolutely quite quite clear. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody's interested, Scott Miller is a good place to start, Bruce Wampold uh, and a um, uh, couple of other people whose names yeah. escape me at the we, moment. We draw a lot of their work and they're, 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 yeah. they're, they've done like, you know, fa fabulous, uh, fabulous work, really uh, big fans of both of them. Yeah, great stuff. So, so here we go. We're talking about, and I just was introducing the idea therapy works and you've you know said that and confirming that um but then we're just saying not all therapies necessarily work so that's i think a fabulous part in in the book what works uh and what doesn't so can we just have a little avenue uh, explore into there of why uh uh therapy which we know is good but a particular frame of it has a less effective uh, less effectiveness uh graham start with you there uh, i think matt had the last chap on it you'll jump in yeah so i think it's worth teasing out the difference between what we're saying on general against individualized so the vast majority of people who come to someone like matt or me for help with talking therapy are, are suffering from generalized depression generalized anxiety something like that um, they might be struggling with a relationship in their life. They might be struggling with loss, with lack of meaning. And there are some general core principles around why general therapy of pretty much any type of standardized talking therapy that you'd get in most therapy offices will, will benefit that person. If you find a, a well-trained, talented therapist who's empathetic, who's solution-focused, who's responsive to your preferences, et cetera, et cetera, chances are it's going to benefit you. But then there's this group of people that would be suffering from something quite specific, be it OCD or a certain type of phobia or PTSD, for which the evidence suggests that there are specific types of therapy that will benefit them. So for OCD, it would be exposure and response prevention. Therapy would be a really good first place for them to start. You wouldn't want to direct someone suffering with OCD probably to psychoanalytic theory therapy. That, that wouldn't be my first port of call, for example. So what we're trying to do in the book is to, is to guide the kind of general reader who doesn't really know anything about therapy, but is just generally suffering and say, don't worry too much. If you follow these principles, you're likely to find the right practitioner for you if you ask the right questions and do a little bit of homework. But if you're suffering from something really quite specific, do your research, look at what we what we have in the UK, which are the NICE guidelines, which guide individuals down certain treatment pathways, and do some research and find the right treatment for you as well as the right therapist. Yeah, is there is there a sort of a, a, a place for a, I don't know what what you might call it a general practitioner type of therapist who who can get some sense and and then who's then able to refer and push on uh, Matt you're nodding furiously there what, what's happening yeah, there? I, I think it's a, I think it's a really nice model and I, and I would say um, that's probably how I try to practice in lots of respects so I, I would take calls and uh, you know swap emails with people for whom I'm pretty certain I'm not the right therapist I, I, I don't mind doing that like it's, it's valuable to me that's a service you know I want to spend the whole of my week doing that but I would routinely route people somewhere else if I thought that I really wasn't the best, the person best placed hmm. to help. So 
talked about dealing with clients with uh, OCD, for example, and that very specific treatment protocol within uh, CBT that he mentioned. And uh, so I know that, right? And some clients have introduced that problem to me later into the work such that they don't want to go anywhere else. So I would do it with them in those circumstances with the caveat that that is not what I specialize in. And there are a few people who I would really recommend first and before me, if they want to stick with me, we'll give it a go. Let's see how we get on, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure you go off and do your study. Uh, Absolutely. You know, yeah, for, yeah. And it's not, it's not very complicated. I don't think therapists should be frightened of those things, even though they've got quite t- technical names. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, it's psychotherapy. Someone like Jonathan Shedler would say psychotherapy, psychotherapy, you know, and I think he's right up to a point on those very specific conditions where people are, you know, where a therapist is dealing with that and only that day in and day out. I think it is just, it would be absurd to say I can do that as well with as much skill as quickly and effectively as that person who is absolutely concentrating on that. So I think of myself a bit like a GP sometimes, like where would this person get better help? But for lots of common problems, there's, um, you know, there is a, a set of uh, interventions, approaches, techniques, styles, toolkits, if you want work outside the session, that would benefit you, whether you were feeling anxious, whether you were feeling downcast and depressed, whether you were struggling to connect with your children, whether you're running into difficulties with co-workers, you can't get on with your boss broad sort of um, set of techniques that would serve you across those things. If it was something very technical, something very specific, I probably think a bit like a GP would make a specialist referral, as you were suggesting. Yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's also part, part, part of the issue we were talking about earlier when we were thinking about different types of therapy and different fields of therapy plays in here in the sense that a lot, if not most therapists in the UK, would be interested in your views and whether you're this this plays across internationally as well market themselves as being able to help with everything they they will their directory listings will say that they cover everything from ocd to grief to eating disorders to to significant depression that that to me feels both unrealistic but also unfair to the potential client because they don't know what is likely to help them best and they need your help as a trained practitioner to understand whether you're the right person for them and quite often you're not the right person for them and part of our job I think is to be humble and to know the research and to have a a portfolio of contacts that we can potentially refer refer them to. Yes there there is a uh, an unfortunate and it's unfortunate in many ways, unfortunate because of attitude but unfortunate because of need, is that in order for me to be a practitioner of anything but certainly as we're talking about psychotherapists i need to have clients and i need to have uh i need to have an income uh frame from this and and it it does distress me on um uh i I keep an eye on the facebooks and various groups and things to see the discussions so i can see what what people are thinking and i i'm i'm mostly horrified uh but but i someone who who says oh oh gosh i've got a an uh, well ocd is one we've been talking about here i've got this ocd client and i'm not really sure about that anyone got any good tips Mm. and i i i do refrain from going on but sometimes when it's an actually very serious thing i'll just go on the biggest tip i can give you is refer to somebody else please then go and do a course uh, uh so that you you know more please don't just guess but what uh what's really, that's going really on is that worldwide sorry really strong, really strong agreement with that richard sorry to uh jump no. in but just, just 
you know, Graham and I would, would both echo that sentiment, like 100%, right? Those are um, really uh, life damaging conditions, right? Addiction would be another one, you know, eating disorders, for example, I, I wouldn't tend to help somebody with an eating disorder. It's not my area of specialism and they need more support than 50 minutes a week can provide. They need to be part of a system which is gripping them. And I think you're probably doing them a big disservice unless you're setting conditions on the way and the manner in which you can help. If you're pretending that 50 minutes a week is going to help that person, it's a really dangerous endeavor, I think. So just real strong agreement, particularly on the OCD example where I've seen that condition really ruin people's lives. You need an expert input um, on, on that. And I think you're absolutely right. You can go off and train in it. It's not rocket science. Like you will get the idea, but it is different from letting somebody talk about the conditions of their life and being empathetic that won't do it like there there you won't find any research to suggest that does a damn thing for improving somebody's obsessive compulsive thoughts yeah i, I this is exactly the the thing that is is so important uh, for therapists to be able to recognize the need in the client but also therapists to recognize the capacity within themselves and uh, 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 with our book, we talk more. We talk a lot about the the technical sides of stuff, and we we actually try and give a bit of the science background so people can understand what OCD is and recognize it. And and what a perfect partnership with your book. We're saying, okay, these are the types of therapies that approach that. Do you do them and do them well? And if not, who does? And where's your where's your beautiful ref, uh, referring list? We should all, should we have that? Is that something that um, uh, therapists would be wise to do, to build up a, a, a sort of referral um, category or catalogue or a, a phone book of, of those people? Is that something that we really need to do? Graham, what do you think? Yes, yes, I do. I think, again, it plays into all the different types of therapy. Uh, in I trained in the world of attachment. The conference that most attachment therapists go to every year is the attachment conference. They don't go to the neuropharmacology conference. They don't go to the psychiatry conference. They should. Uh, I don't do enough of it. I should encourage myself to do it because I should know who the leading expert in my area on OCD is. Who's the person I would refer this particular client to? I think that's uh, would be beneficial both for us as professionals, but also for our clients. When you were talking about the business side of things as well, Richard, I was thinking about there's very few industries that I can think of where being a complete generalist is this is the encouraged way forward. And I think a lot of counselors and therapists would benefit from thinking hard about do I want to? I know it can be quite scary to do it, but is there something that I can specialize in? Is there an area where I provide something unique? Is there something I want to? occupy a niche in and say this is what i tend to work in and yes you're limiting your potential client base by doing so but you're offering something unique and something clear and concise that i think can really resonate with clients yeah and uh, and well my my example of my friend uh, uh, in the musician there the he he had he he understood classical he understood uh, jazz he understood uh, country and western for goodness sake but he became uh, a real specialist in this particular area which of course made him very very valuable and useful uh and uh, the 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 idea of specializing 
uh, almost as something that emerges, I suppose, too. You, you, the, the more you do something, the better you get at it, the more you get clients of it. So this sort of natural self-organizing process uh, is, is something, I suppose, too. Matt, what, what are you finding uh, uh, the, that your students, uh, as they move out into the profession, are, are finding? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with all of that. I, the example we use is um, uh, restaurants, right? And it's it's very rare you want to go to a restaurant that serves uh, French food and a burger and does some pizza and there's noodles on the menu. That's usually not a great restaurant, right? That's well, not that, particularly in, not on the same plate. <laughs> you, you, <Thank> you. <laughs> that you don't want to be there. You, usually, you know, nothing wrong with running a great pizzeria, right? Terrific place to go with the family on a Friday night or the weekend, whatever, you know, uh, tasty, relatively inexpensive, like wonderful. Like that should be a good business. But throwing some other foods into the mix, probably not a good idea. I think it's that kind of principle, isn't it? So that that's what I would say to students, to um, people I see who are training, to people who I would sort of loosely say I was in a kind of mentoring relationship to them, anything that Graham and I write or produce in terms of course content, that that is a big part of what we're saying. Like the assumption that you can do it all, I think is um, is really is really mistaken. And you might not know at first. I think it's okay to take a referral. So I will often talk to a parent, and I'll often then meet the young person, for example. But I won't necessarily be meeting them thinking I'm going to see them for six months or a year. And this is what I would say to anybody else as well. Like you can meet them once, right? You'll get an idea. Sometimes people come and they tell me the problem is this. And then when we start talking, it's not that. It's somewhat different from that. Or it's that and something else. Or they didn't really want to say on the inquiry form or over the phone, actually, it looks a lot more like this. So I, I wouldn't be um, necessarily immediately referring people out because they've inquired about an anxious attachment style or something. And for whatever reason, I think I'm not best placed to do that. I would meet them. I would see. Yes. And I check think it out. It, yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. Give your assessment first. And uh, because oh. because the client may not necessarily uh, have the correct they're, they're guessing too. Everything needs at least a short period of time of clarity, creating clarity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit like your GP model, isn't it, Richard? I think I, I I like that model. I'm not sure whether we do specifically refer to that in the book. We've certainly talked about it, haven't we, Graham? But um, it's it's a great model, right? The GP wouldn't say, "Oh no, I can't see you," or "I'll send you immediately to, you know, somebody to do an MRI." They would they would talk to you. They would see like what level of back pain you were in, whereabouts it was. You know, was it that low? Was it high? was it left was it right was it you know how often has it been there and they do they might even do a bit of watchful waiting you know you probably you'd have that consultation and that does something right it's not just wasting your time or messing people around I think you get some the beginnings of some information you start to feel a bit held and understood and you've got the beginnings of a treatment plan perhaps even if the treatment plan is you know, make a note of what, what particular movements, you know, are excruciatingly painful. Is it bending backwards to the side, to the left, to the right? Is it a forward movement? Those kinds of things are helpful. So I would definitely see somebody in those circumstances, but then I would be thinking, am I, am I the right um, mm. person for? I think yeah. broadly that would be the advice I would, I would give to, um, to anyone, unless you're absolutely certain that they're turning up with something that you really don't do, in which case, you know, don't, well, don't, don't wait. Well, yeah, well, I had a, a, just a, one of those Facebook things. Graham, I'd love to get your reaction to, to this too. The, but there, were, there was a discussion about schizophrenia. And um, uh, so someone as a psychotherapist said, oh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't treat schizophrenia. And I said, well, quite right. Um, that, that, that's quite true. Uh, and you should immediately refer them to someone who has the skills to deal with that. 
Um, but how do you know? And uh, this is one of the greatest difficulties with a lot of the pathological conditions is that they may be presenting as depression or as uh, things. So it's it's that clarity, uh, having an awareness of things. So you go and learn, you read a book about all 500 uh, and all uh, ours, which tells you about all the, the, the pathologies. Do therapists struggle with, with being aware uh, of as many uh, of all the sorts of things you talk about in the book? I think they do. I think that's partly because of the inadequacy of some of the trainings and some of those core principles we've talked about, the ways that the, the a lot of the training, uh, psychotherapy and counselling training in the UK is it channels people down a certain theory or a certain way of working that often leaves them feeling quite confused, I think, when they begin their clinical work with clients, confused about what to do, confused about when to intervene, confused about how much of themselves they can bring into the room, for example, as well. So there's almost an additional layer of thinking and worrying and anxiety they're bringing into the room on top of what's going on for the client, what might be helpful for the client at this moment. There almost there's this self-doubt and watchfulness, almost metacognition on top of it, that I think gets in the way of the work with the client and can take some good supervision, some good CPD, some years of experience for them to find their feet and to ease into the chair and say, actually, I've got this. I think I know what I'm doing now. But I think if they had better training along the way, I think we could get more people there more quickly. And, and I imagine this sort of sort of lack of decisiveness or confidence in the therapist is not good for the client because uh, uh, that, that client-therapist relationship is pretty pretty valuable i think we understand that now um do you just matt i'm thinking again with the students because you've got the college uh, uh, the uh preparing them for this sort of um this potential uh sense of doubt and and worry is that something that uh, uh you do specifically or is it something that you just treat individually as people present with it or uh, i imagine that comes up in discussions what's what's the way it works yeah. in the college yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it comes up a lot um, in in discussion. Definitely came up in my um, training as well. It's huge amounts of anxiety, isn't there? What what we tend to um, uh, do at London Centre for Applied uh, Psychology is there's a bank of online on demand training. So what one of the um, one of the courses that I think is um, really effective. This is not really a sales job, but it just fits the. No, please do, please do. It's on is on addiction because a lot of um, therapists, counsellors, psychotherapists back away from that. They haven't had an experience of that themselves. They won't necessarily see many clients with that who are in active addiction and they will worry because it's one of those things that makes people worry, right? And family members will be worried. But actually what we say, one of the things we say in that course is don't back away from it because you are the best trained person. You are in the best position. You've got a great, if you've been trained well, you've got a great grounding in psychotherapy. You've got a great grounding in listening. And what you need is some specifics around what does and doesn't work for addiction. And that's a reasonably settled science. There are a couple of models you can go to, but broadly the principles are the same. Mm. So all you need to do right, in that instance is just reacquaint yourself or acquaint yourself for the first time with some general treatment principles, right, which are not complicated, not difficult, not baffling. And if you want to, the other thing we say in the course, if you want to think yourself into that person's plight, there's some great literature. We were talking, Richard, before the call started, just how important that's been to you, that kind of your background in the arts, you know, 
the human condition, right? Writ through theater and literature and music and any other art form, right? So you can find some terrific films. We list them if you can't think of them yourself. You can read some terrific poems, some terrific novels about that. And you can think about what addiction starts to feel like. You can ask that person as well, that's okay. So you wouldn't be bumbling and stumbling and giving the impression that you've only just done this, right? Because you've got a body of knowledge already that you're just building on, but you would go off. And in that way that Graham was describing earlier, you would be humble and say, I haven't got every aspect of this, but we do want people to feel confident to go and do things that maybe they haven't done before. Yes. And, and I know there's, there's uh, people that talk about Jeff Zykes talked about this quite a bit with therapists, but I talk about it a lot. Um, you know, go watch the, go back and watch films, go back and watch, uh, go, go look at Shakespeare again. My gosh, all the mental yeah. problems are in there. And, but also yeah. quite a lot of the therapies. Uh, yeah. I, I often talk about it. It's a beautiful life. The Jimmy Stewart film that actually that is just standard CBT. But what's interesting is that, uh, you know, because he had a belief and then he had the belief, you know, reformed and revised. Uh, but that film came out 10 years before Aaron Beck uh, ever mentioned it. So, you know, these things are within us. We have these tendencies and capabilities. So, uh, uh, but wonderful stuff. And there's such a, to, to see a college that is that is approaching this idea, uh, this, this way of possibility of, uh, of approaching therapy, um, I'm involved in one in Italy that's doing very similar. It's very exciting to see. And we're kind of rolling around. That was just sort of a very subtle Australian-English sort of plug. If we were America, we'd say, that's fantastic. You're good. But it, it is fantastic, guys. I want to actually raise that up. To, and if you're in you're in the UK, go check these guys out. Uh, and we're kind of, you know, time. we know that these, unfortunately, these podcasts have to stop. But we could, we we've we've just scratched the surface. Goodness gracious me! So you <laughs> must get the book. You know, uh, it's a straight talking introduction to therapy, uh, what it is, why it works, and how to get it. And I wonder, um, as as false as it is to sort of close things down, there's so much more energy in the conversation. If you if there's something I've missed, or if there's just sort of a closing comment, uh, who wants to start? Uh, Matt, you raised your head first. Uh, that, was, <laughs> I didn't that might to. have been a no, mistake. <laughs> no, no, it was great. It was a great discussion. Thanks so much for having us. It's um, uh, it, it, it's it's lovely to talk. I mean, it, we could talk more. Like that's evident, isn't it? It's um, yeah. What would I want to leave people with? I I, I don't know. Um, I think if it's somebody who's listening, who's thinking about therapy, I would say therapy works. Uh, Graham and I have just listened to a podcast that um, uh, that we both admire. It's uh, very techy, very sciencey. They really get into the detail of the studies. Their conclusion on psychotherapy is that it works, which we, we know. But it was great to hear other people saying it. You know, people who are nerdy about their science and really worry about the rigor of meta analyses and the power of those studies and you know how um you know how how um uh how much strength they can place on that kind of evidence so to hear other people say that therapy works that's what i think i'd want to um uh leave anyone who is thinking about therapy with that it that it works and it's well worth a shot right it works in more than three quarters of instances where people take that on for most people most of the time with most problems uh it it works maybe maybe uh graham will pick up the other um part of that question so i guess if i'm thinking on the other side of things if i'm thinking about the therapists and counselors and psychiatrists who are who are listening to this 
kind of more maybe more attracted to the the science of psychotherapy as as much as anything. I think I'd leave them with with the thought that the research suggests that the the top quarter of therapists, the best quarter of therapists, the most well trained and confident and talented therapists, are, are significantly more effective than the bottom quartile. So although we've been telling a story today about for the vast majority of people, therapy works for the vast majority of mental health problems and mental health conditions. If you're a practitioner, if you find the right resources, if you think about expanding your horizons and being honest and humble about what you do know, but crucially what you don't know, you're more likely to find yourself in that that, that top 25% than in the bottom 25%. Uh, that's a beautiful thing to bring up. And and uh, just adding to that, that we know that one of the key elements of the top 25% is ongoing education, is ongoing Absolutely. learning. Uh, and uh, uh, that's what this podcast is all about. In here, there's, there's stuff, uh, we, we've given concepts and principles and ideas, there's some specific elements. Uh, but uh, as you're saying, Matt, there's another one that's very sciencey and things, and then there's another one which is more experiential. And there's another one. Uh, I, I mean, I at least get one hour uh, a, a week, but I would say I would say I do you know ten or fifteen hours a uh, a week, but just because it's interesting, you know. I think, yeah. oh gosh, I don't know that. No, mm. and go off and explore it. So Absolutely. thank you guys so much. Uh, and uh, again, I, I, I really can't recommend at least exploring the London Centre for Applied Psychology uh, uh, if you're interested in expanding your knowledge and your capacities in this profession. And uh, also, if you're a, a therapist, a client, and we have lots of clients out there, um, look up, you know, look up. Matt Wooden and uh, uh, Cotton, Matt Watton, and uh, Graham <laughs> Johnson. And Graham Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Our pleasure. pleasure. Thank you.